Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Father, we come before you. God, and we thank you so much for this place. God, I, I thank you so much for all the people that, that you've brought here. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit here. I pray that you would move tonight, Father, that you would speak to, to every individual here. God, we're so incredibly thankful that you are a personal God. So I pray that you would, have a, that you would make a personal impact on, on every individual here tonight, that people would leave here encouraged, that they would leave here challenged, um, and just ready to, to grow in their knowledge and understanding in their relationship with you, and then also ready to go out and be a light uh, to this world and a salt to this earth, Father. So we thank you so much for your word. We, we thank you again just for, for the blessing that, that you've given us of fellowship. And uh, we just pray that this time would just be honoring to you. So uh, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, so we are actually in the middle of, of a series. Well, we actually just started. This is like our third teaching in a series through Ephesians. And the title to this series is New Life, New Perspective, right? So, so the Bible says, Jesus says that when you give your life to Christ, you're born again. You're a new creation. And so you have new life. And when you have new life, what, what changes is your perspective and how you see the world. What changes is your motive and how you go about doing the things that you do. So we're going we're gonna to get into Ephesians. We're only going to go through two, chapter, or two verses tonight, but there's so much in these two verses, and I'm extremely excited to, to go through this. So let's, let's get it started. So Ephesians verse one, or chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, and it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. So we're going to break this down, okay? So the first thing that we're going to cover is is the first part of verse 11, where it says, In him we obtained an inheritance. So the question is, what is this inheritance that we obtain? The inheritance is the, inter- is the eternal place called heaven that unfortunately I think we rarely talk about in the church. Heaven is something that we're supposed to long for, that we're, that we're supposed to hope for. But if you were to ask, if you were to go through this room and you were to ask every Christian in here, every individual in here, what heaven is going to be like, I'm sure that you would have 40 different answers. And I would even go so far as to say that if you were to get a line of pastors and ask pastors what heaven would be like, you would get a lot of different answers as to what heaven would be like. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about this subject. And why is this something that, that's important? Because Paul says in Philippians 1.21, For to live is Christ." And to die is gain. So Paul goes so far to say as to living in this world is nothing compared to what our future hope, to what our inheritance is. And he says again in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then again in Romans 8.24, he says, For in this hope... 
we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? So he's talking about this hope that we have in the future, that the sufferings of this age are not worth are not, even, are not even worth comparing to the glory that is revealed to us. And then this whole idea of, of hope that is seen that is not hope. I'm just going to clarify that a little bit because uh, this, what, what this makes me think about is when I was deployed, I hoped, right, while I was out there, I, had, I hoped to see my, my wife and my son and to hug them and to embrace them and spend time with them and, and uh, hang out with them. But when I was with them, right, when I saw them face to face, I was no longer hoping to see them, but I was experiencing and I was living in what I had hoped for. The hope of heaven is, or at least should be, very similar to that experience where we're in this. We, we know what we're looking forward to and we know how good it is. I, I knew how incredible and great it was to be with my wife and with my son. And so I looked forward to that while while I was out doing the things that I needed to do. So our, our view of heaven, our hope of heaven, should be very similar to that. And Paul, obviously, was extremely serious in this hope of heaven, or this hope of our inheritance. So my question to you, Christian, is do you share in this hope? Are you as excited for heaven? Do you view death, right, the same way that Paul did? To live is Christ and to die is gain, right? Because mortality is, it's a, it's a very significant thing, right? One of the things that Robert, say, that Robert says, uh, the, the head pastor of Calvary, he's like, studies show that, what does he say? Oh, man, I can't even say it right. But basically he says, one out of one person dies. It's just a fact, right? So every single one of us is going to experience death. And Sean, right, the pastor um, before, before me of Ignition, he, he had this song in his album called Seeds, and he's like, every step you take, you are one step closer to death. And I was like, whoa, dude, that is a serious song. I, the first time I listened to that, I was like, wow, bro, that's kind of morbid. But uh, when, you, when you think about it, it's something that's, that's, so, that's so true, and it's something that's so, obviously, that wasn't even close to how good Sean sings. He's, got, he's an angel, but, um, but it's, such, it's, such a good, it's such a sobering fact, right? And Paul looked at that fact with joy. So are you, Christian, are you looking at that fact with joy? And if you are, do you know why? And if you're not, then that's exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. John Milton, in, in this super long poem called Paradise Lost, he, he gives this quote. And what he's, what he's kind of talking about is the fall of, of Lucifer and the demons from heaven. And in the perspective he's coming from is, is Satan is trying to motivate the demons after they've been cast out of heaven. And he's trying to motivate them and, and, and tell them to stick with him in, in what's happening. And one of his quotes is, it's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. And you kind of, you hear this, this idea a lot from people that really don't understand heaven and hell. Like one of the things that I've heard a lot is, I'd rather party in hell than be bored in heaven. Has anyone ever heard that before or something like that? Right, and that is such a misunderstanding of not only heaven, but it is an extremely misunderstanding. I don't even know if that's good grammar. But it is a huge misunderstanding of what hell is as well. So what we're going to do is talk about what the Bible has to say about heaven.
And we can start with Paul. Oh, man, I didn't, I didn't get it. There was, this, there was a clip that I really wanted to use, but it's okay. So we're going to start with Paul, who had a vision. He actually had a vision of heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is what he says in verses 2 through 4. He says, I know a man, and he's referring to himself, in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And this whole idea of the third heaven isn't something, isn't like rankings, where if you're, you're kind of a good Christian, you get the first heaven, and if you're a little bit better, second heaven, and if you're like Paul and David and Abraham, you get the third heaven. That's not what he's talking about at all. So the, the third heaven in that culture, in that time, so what they would describe the atmosphere, so everything inside the atmosphere, the, the clouds, the sky, that would be the first heaven. And then the second heaven was space. So the stars, the moon, and the sun, that was second heaven. And third heaven was the dwelling place of God, the heaven that we're talking about, the heaven that we refer to when we say heaven. So he's caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And this is what he says. This is how he describes it. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And what he's basically saying here is, and I'm going to use the office as an example because it's so perfect for, for what Paul is saying here. So there's this scene where Michael Scott is starting a new company, the Michael Scott Paper Company. And he's driving, and he has Pam in the passenger seat, and he's got Ryan in the back seat, and then he's got some other dude in the back. What's his name? Vigram in the back. And Ryan says, do you guys want to hear about Thailand? And Michael says, oh, yeah. And Pam's like, sure. And you see Ryan, and he's just like, it was indescribable. <laughs> and, and Michael's like, sounds great. That's essentially what Paul is saying here about heaven. He's saying, man, I got caught up into the third heaven. I was in paradise. And what was it like? Man, it was indescribable. That's how he describes heaven. So essentially, there's no way that anyone would be able to communicate the fullness of the heavenly experience. But there are things, right, that we have from Scripture. There's actually a lot that we have from Scripture that talks about heaven, and we're not going to be able to get through all of it tonight. We're just going to hit on some key verses just so that we can understand part of what the heavenly experience is going to be. So we're going to start in Revelations 21, 3, and 4, and it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So what is that telling us? Man, God is with us in heaven. God is literally walking with us as he did in the beginning in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God is going to be present with us and he is going to wipe away every tear. There'll be no pain. There'll be no mourning. There'll be no death. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
So God is going to be with us, right? We are going to be in the presence of God. And what does that mean? That means that we are going to experience fullness of joy. Right now, in this broken world, right, in our sinful state, there's no way that we could experience joy in its fullness, Right? We do experience joy in part, especially when, when we receive Christ into our heart and we have the Holy Spirit and we have, that, we have that, that experience of God's love and His grace. We can experience the joy that God gives us, but in His presence, there is fullness of joy. And pleasure, man, pleasure is something that, that this world, that we as people, man, tends to run to. We, we run to pleasure. Just think about... Um, alcohol, think about uh, drugs, think about sex, all of these different things that we run to in order to experience some type of pleasure. But the thing is, these, these, when, we, when we chase after pleasure, right, in the Bible, and we talk about this all the time, when, Bible, when the Bible calls something a sin, when God calls something a sin, it's not because he doesn't want you ex- to, to experience something fun, Right? He's not trying to make your life worse. He's not trying to make your life harder. It's, it's, that's not the way that God works. What God is doing is he wants to protect you from the consequences of that sin. And we got super deep into this in 1 Thessalonians when we talked about sexual immorality. And I encourage you guys to go back and listen to that if you, if you want to. But at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. You will experience pleasure to the full extent of the one that created pleasure. And that's just, that's just another reason as to why we need to, we should, man, absolutely listen to the Lord when he calls things a sin, even though it's something that feels good in the moment. Man, the Bible says that sin is, is fun. Sin is pleasurable, but it's only for a season. It's only for a season. And then you experience the consequences of that sin. So in your ple- presence, there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isaiah 25, 6-9 says, and this is, this is a pretty, pretty sweet thing. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. He will swallow up death forevermore, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So there will be feasting and there will be rejoicing in heaven. There will be feasting and there will be rejoicing in heaven. And it even talks about well-aged wine. What, what to do with that? I don't know. But sounds good to me, right? There will be feasting, there will be well-aged wine, and we are going to be with the Lord experiencing fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Re- Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What is this telling us? This is telling us that there are going to be people from all nations. There are going to be people from all languages with us in heaven. 
we are going to be with a great multitude of people, a huge number of believers, all the way from the beginning of man until the end of man. Those, all those believers we are going to be with in heaven. And Philippians 3.20-21 through 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And man, that is such a sweet truth for us and for us to understand. Again, this world that we live in, this life that we live is temporary. Our citizenship is not here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven, Christian. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So what does this tell us? This tells us that heaven is a physical place and you will have a physical body. It's not just a spirit land. It's a physical place where you'll have physical bodies. And you'll actually, when you get your, your new body, your redeemed body, we will actually be able to recognize each other. You'll know, you'll know who, who is who in heaven. And we know this because of what Jesus says in Matthew 8.11. He says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So not only are you going to recognize uh, the, the other people around you, but you're going to get to sit and you're going to get to feast with the people of old like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That means that when you go to heaven, the people that have passed before you, right, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your family members that, that have died in Christ before you, you are going to sit and recline and, and be with them and speak with them and enjoy them. And another example that, that we have, the, the thing that I've always questioned though is like, because we're going to talk about this in the, in the transfiguration. Like, how are we going to know it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I don't know. Are we just going to know? Are we going to get introduced to them? I don't know. But the transfiguration is interesting. Because when you look at the transfiguration, and this is something that happens in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. Right? This is talked about three, three different times by three different um, uh, uh, disciples. And what happens is Jesus goes up with Peter, James, and John, and he's transfigured on this high mountain. Right? His, his, his body is glorified. He shines. His, his robe turns white. And he's talking with Moses and with Elijah. And I've always wondered, man, how did Peter, James, and John know that it was Moses and Elijah? I don't know. Maybe, they, maybe that's, that's the way that it is in heaven. You just know. But again, that just kind of proves the point that when you're in heaven, you will be recognized and you will recognize other people. You will recognize other believers. So just to recap some of these things, Revelation and many other places talk about how God is with us and we are with him in heaven. And the Bible says that when you are in his presence, you are going to experience fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. There will be feasting. There will be rejoicing. You will be with people all over the world. You will be in a physical place with a physical body where you will be able to recognize all the other believers, right, that have gone before you in heaven. After, after looking at that, and just looking at those few scriptures, because there's so much more that we can get into. And I encourage you guys, if this is something that you're interested in, man, go read, read a book on this or listen to podcasts on this because there's so much information out there. But we can see that, that, that statement, right? I'd rather party in hell than be bored in heaven. It's almost, it's, it's the opposite, right? It, it really sounds like there is a party in heaven. It sounds like an incredible time in heaven that the Bible describes. 
So that is the inheritance that we have to look forward to. That is the inheritance that we have obtained when we gave our lives to Christ. Going into the second part of verse 11, it says, Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Man, this is such an incredible truth. We talked about a couple weeks ago how, how God created us with the ability, he, he created us with the ability to choose Him or to choose our sin. Man, we got into Calvinism and Arminianism. We talked about Reformed theology. We got super deep into doctrine and theology, and it was crazy. And we, and we just looked at right, what the Bible had to say about all these different topics or all these different points that, that they have. It's incredible for me to, to see that God has given us the ability to choose Him or choose our sin, yet He is still so powerful and He is still so sovereign that He can work all things according to the counsel of His will. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. That is a promise from our God. All things work together for good. It doesn't say that all things work together for good all the time for all people. What does it say? There's a couple, there's a couple prerequisites in there, right? For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And so for the, for the people that love God out of a response for God's love for them, out of a response for, for what God has done for them, the love and the grace and the mercy that He's done, and how He has showed that, how He has made that manifest in the person of Jesus and the death of Jesus on the cross. And when you respond to that, and you choose to, to love God and serve God, He works all things together for good. And we see real life of, of examples of this in the Bible many, many times. And so we're just going to use one, right? We're going to use... Joseph's life. Because you guys just finished Genesis, right? You were on the last week of Genesis, my first week here. And Joseph, right? Joseph has this crazy life, for those of you that don't know. He's, he's, one of, he's the youngest brothers of, he's the youngest of 12 brothers, right? He's 11 or 12? Is he 12? I think he's 12. 11, because Benjamin. He's got 10 older brothers, Right? And he's, he's always flaunting because his father does love him the most. And he's flaunting it. Man, and he gets his brothers ticked off. And so his brothers decide, you know what? Let's just kill this dude. So they throw him in a pit for him to die. And then when, when some, some slave owners come, they're like, well, we could actually make money off of him. So let's just do that. Let's just sell him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery. Joseph goes to Egypt. He works as a slave, right? He is, he is still serving and honoring God in, in his, his servanthood, right? And he works his way up to being the, the number one dude uh, or the number two dude, I guess, in Potiphar's house because Potiphar is the main man. And then he gets accused of trying to seduce Potiphar's wife, even though it was the opposite way. Potiphar's wife is like, hey, Joseph, you're so handsome. Come, come and get some. And he's like, no. And he runs for it. But then the wife is super embarrassed, and she's like, Potiphar, he was trying to, he was trying to get some with me. And he's like, no way. Throws that dude in jail. So Joseph is sitting in jail, right, for running from sin, for doing the right thing. He goes to prison. 
And he's sitting in prison, and yet he still continues to serve God. And he works his way up to, to one of the top guys in the prison. Man, he interprets two dreams for, for two guys that were in the prison. And then Pharaoh has a dream. And one of, the guys that, that one of the guys whose dream he interpreted tells Pharaoh, Hey, man, I know this guy in prison. His name's Joseph. He interpreted my dream. He can interpret yours. So Pharaoh brings him in. Joseph interprets the dream. And Joseph eventually becomes the number two man in Egypt. Just below Pharaoh. And so... He's sitting on his deathbed, Joseph, and his brothers, who, who they, they came and they had a sweet family reunion and Joseph forgives them and it's this beautiful moment. But they, they're scared that Joseph on his deathbed is going to change his mind. And he's like, you know what, just kill my brothers because, they were, they, because of what they did to me when I was a child. But what he says to them in Genesis 50, 20, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring, up, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God used evil intent, the evil intent of other people for good. That is how incredible our God is. And I have so many stories in my own life where God used something hard and something difficult for the good. And just one example... And, and I've been pretty, me and my wife have been pretty open and honest about this, uh, about part of our testimony when we were struggling with uh, infertility for, for two years. So me and my wife, we, we really wanted to have a baby. We couldn't have a baby. We were told that we weren't going to be able to have a baby. So we started to go through the adoption process. And as we were taking classes, right, to become certified, we, my, my wife got pregnant. And it was incredible. And we, we were super excited. And then just a few weeks later, um, we, she had a miscarriage, and that, that experience, man, was something that, that, that cr- it crushed us. It did, and it, and it really rattled my faith, but one of the things, God used that, that horrible experience, right, that really difficult, hard experience. One of the things that, that he showed me, because we found out on a Friday that she, she may, that she was probably having a miscarriage, but they wouldn't be able to confirm it until Monday. So that Saturday, we went to our friend's house. We went to our small group that we were talking about earlier. We went to our small group's house, and our friends came alongside of us. They just put on worship music. They laid hands on us, and they prayed with us, and they cried with us, and they walked through that mourning process with us. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is what church is. This is what fellowship actually is. Church isn't just sitting in a building and listening to a teaching and then going out and doing whatever you want for a week and then coming back. And that being the only time you see your brothers and sisters in Christ. No, this is what it is. Doing life with your brothers and sisters and walking through the good and the difficult times together. That is what church is. And God used that to reveal that beautiful truth to us. To reveal to us how incredible and beautiful fellowship is. The, the whole idea of fellowship is in God. Man, God has even used sin in my life. Sins that I have committed. Sins that I have committed against my wife. Man, God has used those things to reveal to me His glorious grace and His unconditional love. 
Hey everyone, Pastor JD here. You've been listening to a teaching from Ignition Tucson, the young adults ministry of Calvary Tucson. If you live in the greater Tucson area and you're between the ages of 18 to 28, we want to invite you to join us in person. We meet every Thursday evening at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus on Speedway and Camino Seco. Come join us. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Down away.